Chapter Thirty Eight of House, Garden, and Field by L. C. Meal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Rare specimens. The gratified collector often sends to a journal an account of some rarity which he has just captured, a grass, a moth, or a bird's egg, and there is a little chorus of congratulation from his friends, especially if the rare object has been found in a new place. All this is perfectly natural, and we have been accustomed to believe that such discoveries are gains to natural history, small gains, perhaps, but deserving of recognition. Where collectors are few, and the country in which they carry on their operations practically inexhaustible, no harm comes of their pursuit. But in a populous country like England, which has been diligently searched for more than two centuries, and where there is always a multitude to follow any leader, good or bad, it may be a question whether it is prudent to give glory to the naturalists who announce from time to time that they have added a rare specimen to their cabinets. There can be no doubt, I think, that rare specimens become yearly rarer in consequence of the eagerness of collectors. Certain species of birds, butterflies, ferns, and flowers, which are fancied by the collector, have been altogether exterminated in places where they were once well established, and if things go on at the present rate, we shall eradicate a good many species which have managed to survive so far while we shall turn other species which are now moderately common into rarities. Years ago I knew of many uncommon flowering plants, which were to be found by a diligent botanist in retired spots among the Yorkshire hills. But exchange clubs and other societies which set an artificial value on rarity have come into play, and we now often find that the saxifrage, or yellow star of Bethlehem, that we have prized for years, has been ruthlessly cleared out. The liberty that single naturalists can enjoy without damage to others becomes pernicious when it is claimed by large organized parties. It is no doubt desirable and necessary that parties of beginners should gather wild flowers and other natural objects, but why put into their minds the craving for rarities? The commonest examples that can be found are really the best for elementary teaching, and a naturalist who does not know the common things well can put the rare ones to no use. In the name of science, let us make it known that the worst thing you can do with a rare species is to bag it. The man who regularly enriches his own collection and cares about nothing else is not really a worthy member of scientific society. He is an enemy to natural history and should be known as such. The value of collecting as a means of promoting the study of natural history has, in my opinion, been greatly overestimated. Ardent collectors are usually uninterested in every branch of their study which does not facilitate naming. They are seldom observers of the habits of living things, and they make few real, though many nominal, contributions to biological science. Instead of helping to multiply naturalists of this type, let us try to make naturalists who will seek to understand a little better the plants and animals which come under their eyes every day. The school museum may be mischievous instead of profitable, if it keeps before the minds of the boys one ambition only, the ambition of making a large collection in which there are many rare specimens. Some naturalists value the services of the collector because he helps to enlarge their lists of species. I have seen hardly any result from the lists of species which are printed so copiously, and doubt whether perfect catalogues of British plants and animals would compensate for the extermination of two or three of our native species. End of chapter 38